This episode is brought to you by Cox Contour TV. Find the entertainment you love with Contour TV and Contour Stream Player. Learn more at coxcox.com slash contour. This episode is brought to you by HP. When you're working apart from your team, feeling connected can be a challenge. Presenting HP Presence, a more thoughtful human collaboration technology. With enhanced audio and video features, you can experience more genuine collaboration and feel more connected. Be in the room, from any room, with HP Presence. Learn more at hp.com forward slash presence. Good evening. <laughs> I can't do it. That was, you know, that was not a bad attempt. I'd give myself like a four out of ten. I'd be more gracious, like a six. Yeah, six Cliff just needs to be there. This is the first time we have done an episode where there's only two people on the show. I feel like Cliff and I did more. No, because we still had Cassio. Cassio, where we yeah. saw the third. Yeah, this is the first time we've only had two without a guest. Without a guest, yeah. This is going to be fun. Yeah, shoot the breeze a little bit. We're going to shoot the breeze. It's going to be very relaxed. We're going to talk about events, things coming up. Yep. Just kind of fill in some information. And And we're going to talk about our favorite flies. And we're going to talk about our favorite flies for the Guadalupe. Because Cliff does not care about that. (laughs) Yeah, Cliff doesn't (laughs) care. So since Cliff's not here, is this just going to be the Bash (laughs) Cliff show? (laughs) (laughs) No, Cliff, you know, I hope you feel better. Yeah, so. <laughs> he he wasn't feeling well, so we hope you feel better. Also, like we know that us talking about the types of flies is your he nightmare. He has no interest. No, it's li- like literally, if I walked to the river with him and handed him a bucket of flies and was like, "This is all I want you to use," he'd be like, "Okay." Yeah, he wouldn't even know the no name. No interest. No, honestly, if we went, if we walked to the river with Cliff and gave him a bucket of flies, he'd have his duck calls around his neck, <laughs> and he would just sit on the riverbank <laughs> practice blowing, calling, blowing calls, and then like, "Oh, there's some ducks," and then he'd try to call him in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like every time we go anywhere with him, he's like, "Oh, there's some teal." I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> <You know? laughs> he's fired up on. He's fired up on duck season. He is. He's all. My dad asked because we were doing that hunting trip, and my dad asked if he's going to bow hunt. And I was like, "I don't know. I think he gave up his put his bow away because now he's all he's got on the mind are ducks." Right. You can't hunt ducks with a bow. Yeah, legally. Legally, Actually, you know, well, I don't even know. Pro- you probably could. Probably, yeah. You can do a lot of things in Texas. So tonight we are drinking Jefferson's Ocean Aged at Sea. I did a lot of research on this. I'm going to start doing this for episodes. Yeah, I've been wanting to try this. A lot more research on the whiskey that we're doing. Let's be honest, we're not professional like... uh, Whiskey sommeliers? Yeah, sommelier. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah, We're like, oh, we like it. It's good. You guys should buy it. But other than that, we're not... I smell fruit and... no. Walnuts. So let the, let the internet tell us what we're smelling. So I'm going to bring you guys more informative about the whiskey. Yeah. So tonight, again, Jefferson's Ocean Aged at Sea. I've, I, I've been dying to try this for a This long is a time. very, very unique bottle. Yes. And I'll get into why. It is a blend of straight bourbon whiskeys, very small batch, uh, 45% alcohol volume, 90 proof. Uh, Jefferson's was founded in 1997 to pay homage to Thomas Jefferson, our third U.S. president. 
And since this is a blended whiskey, uh, they source their whiskey from different distilleries that are not disclosed. So this is kind of a big thing in the whiskey market that I've learned more recently from Gabe is that a lot of whiskey manufacturers will buy their whiskey from a distillery, mm-hmm. slap a label on it, and market it, and then sell it as something different. Yeah, that's why, like, like a lot of places, if they don't tell you where their actual, like, distillery is, it's typically bought and purchased from other places with, yeah. their, with their label on it. And they might age it differently or do something, like, put it in their own barrels or do mm-hmm. something different, but... And a lot of places, they'll do that, too, like, when they're first starting out, like, the first three or four years until they get their own whiskey. Yeah. Like, I know, uh, what is it? Ben and Milam, or Ben Milam, which is now Milam and Green, they were buying and sourcing until all of their whiskey was actually aged long enough exactly. to sell. Yeah. yeah. No, that makes sense. So this is one of those, the Jeffersons purchased their whiskey from other distillers, and then they aged them themselves. They put them in barrels and aged them themselves. So they, they buy it aged already, and then they, they no, finish I, it? No, I think they buy it pre-aged. Okay. So up to the aging process, and so then they age it. Just moonshine. Most whiskey is aged at a single location. This bourbon, the Jefferson's, is instead placed on a working ship and aged as that ship sails around the world. So basically, they put them in barrels, they throw it on a, on a working ship, and they send it around the world. In theory, this process ages the whiskey quicker and gives more unpredictability and unique results since the barrels are constantly being jostled around. Yeah. So in theory, if you buy a bottle from a specific voyage, which this is Voyage 23. Oh, it actually tells you. Uh, yep. All of the barrels on Voyage 23, I would imagine, are going to be quite similar. Maybe. Maybe. I think it would be very different, like Voyage 23 and Voyage 22 would, would be, be different. very different. Yeah, but then you know you have to ask yourself... If that barrel got any of the salt humidity in it, you know, if that changed the flavor profile and barrels the top of the ship versus the bottom. I mean, I'm sure there's, you know, ships aren't huge, so. But Yeah, it could make a difference. It could. Well, for you guys, actually on their website, another cool thing is if you, if you see what voyage your bottle came from, which is on the upper label, you can see the route that it actually took. Oh, no way. So I'm going to give you guys a rundown of the journey that this – bottle of whiskey went on it started in savannah georgia savannah georgia went down the caribbean okay through the panama canal okay to tahiti Uh uh-huh then to new zealand stopped in new zealand around australia to south korea okay then it hit japan Uh uh-huh then it hit the west coast at washington state came down to california back down south to the panama canal up the Caribbean, and ended back at Savannah, Georgia. That's cool. And every bo- every voyage is different. So no two voyages of this of this bottle. So that's why I could imagine, you know, depending on how many times you cross the equator, depending on if you run any storms, mm-hmm. depending on the, temper- the average temperature of your trip, you could get very different flavors. Does it say how bottles. long the trip took? Uh, I did not get that information. Okay. But I imagine it took quite a while. Probably quite a while, but also, like, the color is, like, dark for a bourbon. I mean, not for a bourbon, but it's just, like, it's a good-looking bourbon. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, it's got this nice amber color that's just, I don't know. It's kind of fancy. Yeah, no, I like it. The bottle's very clean and very classy. Mm -hmm. 
the price that you're going to pay for one of these bottles is seventy to eighty dollars retail. Yeah, and it's not tough to find. Like if you want to find it, you can pretty much find it. Yeah, and basically you're paying for because they purchase the whiskey itself. You're paying for the aging process. I mean, there's a cost to a barrel being on a ship yeah. and sailing. Because they sell Jefferson's sells other bourbons as well that they don't do this to. Yes, and they're a little bit less expensive. Yeah, no, for sure. They uh, uh, Jefferson says that the flavor should be salted caramel popcorn and tropical fruit. I get the salted caramel fruit. I smell the fruit more than I actually taste it. Smells fruity, for right? sure. But then you try it, and it's not straight fruity. Like, we've had some bourbons that are, like, fruit, like, sweet candied apple forward, you know. Mm-hmm. But what do you get? Definitely the salted caramel. Yeah. Like, I can taste the saltiness. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's part of the process of being on a cruise ship. Yeah. And that's why I was curious about how long the, the trip takes, because a lot of times with that being so close to the equator and sloshing around so much... That wood is constantly absorbing that bourbon and spitting it back out. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I imagine that if they didn't want, you know, I don't know. Maybe it just happens and works out. What do you it's think? It's supposed do to like accelerate it? the aging process right. too. So they yeah. probably don't have to age it as long. Yeah, and that's why I was asking because, you know, instead of like the three to four years or whatever it is, they might maybe. I imagine do it. a journey like that took at least a year. Yeah. If they're actually shipping and having to stop at these ports, because these are all actual stops. Right. Stop and unload and do all that and go through the Panama Canal. How long was the line down there? Yeah. So, what do you think? You like it? I do like it. I've been, I mean, obviously, I've been drinking on it. Yeah. It's very good. And it's a cool story. I mean, realistically, things with a good story do better. Oh, yeah. That's if you have a good story to tell, like, if, if you're going to go to a party and you bring this bottle and you know its journey mm-hmm. and it's got a cool story, it's more fun. Yeah. And things that have better stories do better. I mean, I think that's why Yeti videos do so well because they tell a good story. Videos that tell a story do better. Whiskeys that have a story tend to be more liked, even if they're not as good. And the sentiment that I was reading online when doing this research was that it's a bit overpriced. Like, it's good whiskey, but there's better whiskeys for $80. That's what I would say. If this was a $50 whiskey, I'd be all on, all on it. But the mm-hmm. fact that it's still, like, 25 to $30 more than that. Like, for me, if I saw this next to a bottle of Angel's Envy, I'd get the Angel's Envy any day, mm-hmm. you know. And that's $30 cheaper. Yep. Teach their own. I do like the story, though. The story is really cool. No, for sure. And that's half the reason why I've been wanting to try it. I have never bit the bullet and actually bought it. So... Man, we were talking pre-show about how I'm super interested in, like, crime documentaries and everything. Yeah. Have you been keeping up with the whole, like, Gabby Petito, Brian Laundry thing? Just a little bit. You know, I, uh, I when at first, when they were first looking for her, I was, and also because, like, the whole van life thing, like, just like, appeals to me for some reason. Like, if Kendall was like, hey, let's sell everything and go live in a van for years, I'd be like, let's do it, you know? Uh, ever since they found her body, I have not really kept up with it outside of they haven't found him. Yeah. I, I check Google like three times a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I always hear about um, another thing about me watching crime documentaries and listening to pri- crime podcasts is like how much apparently like so many of these stories I watch that are do- obviously documentary worthy because they're crazy stories. Yeah. But how much 
the news was involved in the story. And I'm just like, I was alive during this case. I don't, uh, I just watched a documentary about Amanda Knob or Knox. She got arrested in um, Italy. For what? Um, she was accused of murdering her roommate. Um, she got, and she was an American citizen there studying. And it was just like huge news story. Trump made comments about it. And I'm uh-huh. like, how did I not know about this? All right. So when my interest has peaked, so to say. So now you're like checking it out. And now I'm checking it out and staying on top of it. Okay, so have they found any leads? I guess they, they well, might not be putting that information out there. So, you know, I think most people suspect that he did it. Right. He yeah. was the last known person to be with her. They they had been pulled over because of an argument where he was driving erratically. And he also used her credit card after the fact. And that's what they're putting out there in the news right now. Because that's the that, only th- piece of evidence they really have. That's the only thing they have. They, he, they know for sure he did it illegally. Yeah, well, she was dead. So yeah. if she had died and then he used her credit card, he was doing it illegally. Right. The main thing is Dog the Bounty Hunter's involved now, and that's like got a lot of media attention. Yeah. Because he's making comments about it every day, and then the media is reporting on Dog the Bounty, Dog Hunter. The Bounty Hunter. There's a couple theories. I mean, they're searching all over that preserve in Florida, mm-hmm. but then they a lot of people think he's like on the Appalachian Trail somewhere because he's, he's familiar before. with the area. Yeah. I don't know. I just want that dude to be caught and be brought to justice right. at this point. That's why I'm like, and hopefully they find him alive. Yeah. Also, I guess they released body cam footage of a police encounter they had with the couple like a yeah. year ago or so. No, that was like two weeks before. Oh, I didn't know that was that recent. Yeah, maybe okay. maybe it wasn't two weeks, maybe it's but it was a short time before, before. the incident. So like yeah. everything was ramping up up yeah. to that point. Yeah. And then that she was like, "Oh, he hit me, but I hit him first or something like that." Yeah, she. I I watched actually the whole thing when it first was released. And it was a kind of it was kind of like that sentiment. He hit me, I I hit him. Yeah. It was a big argument. That whole deal. I think the police separated him for the night. It's like, why don't you guys separate for the night? And he stayed in the van and she got a hotel room somewhere. Sure. And uh but oof. Yeah. It's just it, it it also has there's been a lot of commentary on it as well about other missing person cases that mm-hmm. haven't got a lot of media attention. There's also been a lot of talk about why certain cases get media attention and other Others don't. don't. Yeah, I think this is I. You know, a lot of people like to throw a lot of things out there, but on, on their theory for that, and I just think, inter- like we talked about the whiskey, interesting stories are more interesting to report on. Yeah, I think it's you know I have different opinions on it. I think you know stories like that have been, and what happened to her is absolutely horrible. I do not want anybody to take that any other way. However, for 70, 80 years in our country, people who are like that, their stories often get a lot of media attention. You know what I mean? And that's just kind of how it goes. But uh, However, <laughs> to switch subjects, yeah, uh, it is the best time of the year because it is now October baseball. And I know that you are dying to talk about baseball. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> no, but I just want to throw it out there. Giants won. They have 107 wins. They set their record. They have never... In 136 years, had a 107-win season. And they did it yesterday, or on uh, Sunday, to the last game. So, I just want to, you know, bring up the Giants. Doing good. They weren't supposed to do that. They are supposed to have a 50-win season. They won 100, 107. Nice. I know. 
Yeah, I've not cut, kept up with baseball at all. I'll probably watch some World Series games. That's about the extent of my baseball yeah. per year. Yeah, so postseason starts. Or today. if I can actually go to a baseball game. Those I love going to baseball games. I just I don't know. So much going on. Baseball's like We watched so much baseball this past weekend. And now that October happens, we'll just watch it through. I like month. that guy, um I can't remember his name. That media guy who comments on baseball. Uh, who are you going to say? Because there's one guy that people love to poop on. Who is it? Who are you talking oh, about? Oh, man. Why can I not remember his name? Uh, I'll look it up real quick. Boy, who do you like? Uh, John Boy. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know who you're talking about. Uh, uh, what? John Boy? Yeah, John, John Boy Media. John Boy Media, yeah. Yeah. He does two-minute videos and, like, I think that's why I like, because we were talking about earlier, too, how I like my information quick and direct and he'll take like a baseball game and break it down and like here's a high point in like three minutes i'm like that was very interesting i liked his takes and his opinions and they're also you know i don't like the snobbiness of like old school baseball no he's like he he'll straight up just like laugh at like what a player did or like a stupid rule because yeah. baseball is so much about tradition and the and un- like, the unwritten rules. Yeah, and he's like, no, this is stupid. He's like, I want to see a guy slam a homer, you know, when he's up in the count and <laughs> and then bat flip, you know, at the yeah. same time and mouse with the pitcher. That's what I want to see, you know. Yeah. Uh, no, I just pissed off a lot of people right there by saying that. But <laughs> oh man, <laughs> there's so many. We're people gonna get a bad review because just, you were talking. <laughs> Just because I don't agree with all the unspoken rules of baseball. No, and I, that's, yeah, I don't know, man. I'm just not a fan. I, I, you know, I like when guys are trash talking and. Yeah, no, see, I wouldn't want it every day. And I do love baseball for the nostalgia of it as well. No, I will say the Field of Dreams game was cool. It was really neat, wasn't it? Yeah. That's something I'm down for. Yeah, that was cool. I like, and I, I want them to do more stuff like that and do it well, mm-hmm. you know, because that game, I feel like they did a really good job. Yeah, no, I agree. I like John Boy Media. He does make it fun. So I uh, finished the last Smith River YouTube video. How does it feel to be done? Feels good. Five YouTube videos of my trip down the Smith River. And each one's a day? Each one's a day. Okay. They range from anywhere from like six minutes to probably like 11, 12 minutes, okay. depending on. Uh, what was going on each day and how much footage I was able to get. But I'm real happy with how it turned out. And they were super fun to work on. I'm glad, like, I mean, we've talked about this before, how us doing the podcast, it's fun to go back and listen to old episodes and remember what you do because we do, like, so much happens in a year. We've been doing this for over a year. Yeah. We're actually recording back at my house on our back on my back porch Which we haven't where done this in started. Yeah. This is where the pocket, we only did probably like three or four episodes on my back porch yeah. before we moved to the garage, be, to my garage because of mosquitoes. Yeah. And then we moved to Cliff's place because there were still mosquitoes. And he had a garage. And, or, he, and he had like a cleaner garage. And an enclosed area that we yeah. could do it. Yep. So yeah, it feels good to be back on the back porch where it all started. It is kind of nice. But doing the YouTube videos is cool because. You know, I made YouTube videos a, a year ago, and I just go back and go watch them, like me fishing with my brothers or doing a fishing trip, and going back and watching those videos is super, is super fun. And I can't even, like, I don't even remember all of the, like, I edited them, but going back and watching them after a year, I'm like, oh, man, that happened, that happened. Like, it's yeah. refreshing the memory all over again. It's really cool. So it's kind of like a, a diary, I guess. Yeah. I don't like diarying, so I just make YouTube videos. Yeah. To remember stuff. No, that's true because we do. I do the same thing. I go back and 
revisit old trips and stuff like that. It's cool. Yeah. Ian wrote a great article that will be up on it'll by the time this comes out it'll be up on the website. Yeah. Ian's mind works so interestingly. It's way fascinating. His way with words and describing things and even our group messages. Well, I mean, we should just like Snapchat or like <laughs> uh, screenshot the things he says in yeah. group message. I'm like, dude, how did you come up with that? Because right. it's so interesting. But he just wrote a good article about his hunting trip with his brother and how they didn't shoot any birds, how that wasn't a waste of time. Yeah, but the perspective of it, yeah. The is, perspective of it is, is great. Is great. And the quote of the whole article, I'll just leave you with the quote to pique your guys' interest, is no good story ever starts with, well, I was stretching with 80 other people in a 90-degree room doing yoga. <laughs> Something along those lines. It might, though. You know, if you farted, <laughs> it's, you know, it's probably a pretty good story. But the, the story's short, though, too. Yeah, it's short. So, you guys, go check it out. Thanks for writing those articles for us, Ian. You know what I'm trying to do? What? Maybe Gabe will hear this, and I'll pick his interest. I texted him. Uh, trying to get him to write whiskey reviews Ooh. that we could put on the website. That'd be good. So, Gabe, think about it. He's like, I don't think I have the supply. I'm like, <laughs> what? Oh, but you do. No, that's not a good reason. And then he's like, well, I don't have the time. I was like, that's a more plausible reason and i can understand that because right. none of us have any time no. by the time we work and do the podcast and i edit youtube videos there's not much time left but so i can understand that but it'd be really cool if gabe would could write some whiskey content for us yeah we have an event yeah okay we're gonna talk about this we're gonna talk about it yeah cool so we're planning an event uh we did the come hunt with us cliff planned it it's a great event it was a lot of fun we are planning a charity event yep. to raise money for real recovery and if you guys want more information on real recovery we're going to actually do a podcast with some guys uh with real recovery but if you also go back and listen to our episode with joe on the duck calls episode we talked about my time at the retreat um it's a great organization yeah but we're going to do an iron fly event yeah so okay so if people don't know what an iron fly is iron fly is iron chef think it think iron chef there's a bunch of materials on a table, mm -hmm. cooking materials, and you can use whatever's there to cook the best dish possible. And you're fighting against the other top chef. You're fighting against the other top chef. That's not what we're doing with Ironfly. But I just wanted to... Well, no, I guess we kind of are. Well, so Ironfly is, we're going to provide you a bunch of materials. Yeah. Randomly. You won't know what's in there. No, we'll give you like a little surprise box. A little surprise box or bag. And... You will have to, in a certain amount of time, tie your best fly possible out of the materials given to you. And just one fly, right? One, one fly. Your fly will be uh, judged by a panel of judges, yep. yet to be named, but we'll get good fly tires. And we'll have different judges. categories, like most creative fly. Are uh, we going to do categories? I don't think we've made eh. the rules yet, but... I like yeah, categories. We might know. do different categories. We might also do... I was also thinking about this. I haven't ran it by you guys yet, but doing a tying a woolly bugger blindfolded contest. Ooh. Like throwing that in there too. That would be fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. So who can tie the best woolly bugger blindfolded? I like that. So just like a really fun fly tying event, we're going to have like raffle prizes, silent mm -hmm. auctions, and... Beer. 
uh, beer or whiskey. Or whiskey. We haven't decided on the location, but Definitely that brewery or there. distillery would be our ideal location. And we're just going to have a good time. Maybe yeah. a DJ out there to play music. Yeah. I have a connection. We're there. trying to make it a big, like, a, like an actual like, big event. Yeah. Also, this is probably, what, like seven months away, you think? Yeah, we're shooting for like April, May of next year. Yep. Yeah. So we're just like getting it on your guys' radar. Well, so just block off the month of April and block off the month of May. Every Saturday that the every Saturday time until we come out with the official dates. And then you're fine to schedule whatever. Yeah. But I do like that though. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm excited. And we've had a great time planning it too. Mm-hmm. So we'll uh as we get more information, we will keep y'all informed. In the meantime, just hang tight until we get that out and uh if you guys have any questions or if y'all want to donate something to a raffle or a silent auction, shoot us a message. Um, I know Joe uh, already mentioned he's going to donate a bunch of duck calls. We've had uh, a couple guys mention they were going to donate like guided trips and stuff like that. So yeah. it's gonna be it's gonna be a ton of fun, and we're looking at having it somewhere in between Austin, San Antonio, so we can get both both crowds yep. involved. Exactly. But we have a lot of man. There's so many good fly tires in our area. I know. I'd say I bet on a winner, but I knew I know too many great fly tires to bet on a winner. I know. I could put some money on some people though. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so in other event news, uh Alvin's uh Loco Trash Bash is gonna be on November thirteenth. Yes. Yeah, November 13th. There's a Facebook page for it. Guys go check it out. I think my calendar day's open, so I'm probably gonna be there, gonna yep. take the raft down, try to pull some tires out of the river. If I was in town I'd go. And we might podcast after. That'd be cool. Sweet. Let's get into some of our articles. Yeah, which one are you doing today? I'm going to do not-so-neat things in nature. So do I, I can't play it in reverse, but... <laughs> U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service declares 23 species extinct. Oh, man. This I, I, I found this article on KPAX 8, which is like a Montana news station, <laughs> by Tanner Saul. Uh, reported on September 30th. So the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has declared 23 species of birds, fish, and other species extinct. The most famous species on the list is the ivory-billed woodpecker. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's very rare for wildlife officials to give up hope on a plant or an animal, but government scientists say they've exhausted efforts to find these 23 on the list. Basically, the the, the reasons for their extinction vary but it's like habitat loss development water pollution uh invasive species birds killed for feathers and still and uh, animals captured by private collectors i don't think still i would imagine that the ivory-billed woodpecker is an example of back when they were market hunting and collecting birds for their feathers like that's that, when the that, most damage was that done that was when the most damage was done and it was never able to recover gotcha that makes sense so the announcement that came on Wednesday is the start of a three-month comment period before the species status change becomes final. So they're, so they're going from endangered to extinct. extinct. And there's a three-month period where scientists can comment and say, hey, we don't think this is a good decision because, and they can lay out their reasoning and yeah. maybe not get them on that extinction lift list. A leading figure and the hunt for the ivory-billed woodpecker said it was premature to call off the effort after a million dollars was spent on searches and habitat on habitat preservation efforts. So I actually have the list here. I'm not going to go over. A lot of them are from Hawaii, like birds in Hawaii. Uh-huh. Uh, I can't even pronounce them. 
Ooh, I'm gonna say this this bird, the Molokai creeper, is Ooh, a Hawaiian bird. Molokai creeper is a Hawaiian bird. Birds are weird. The way they dance and stuff. I mean, like, I'm sure that's called a creeper because it does a weird dance. <laughs> it does a creepy dance. They all, like every bird, bird, like every male bird, does a weird <laughs> dance to bring a ladybird over. Yeah, that's just how it goes. They have like bright colored feathers and they do a weird. Those dance. are always the best, like National Geographic videos. Is yeah. the male birds dancing? And then it's even funnier when the lady's like, "No, that wasn't weird enough," and like goes away. <laughs> <laughs> and then David Attenborough is like, and his three friends, like, yeah, his three male friends, watch him to learn for the next year. It's like. <laughs> I guess that's what they're thinking. <laughs> so, Ivory Bill Woodpecker from Arkansas. It was listed in 1967, but the last confirmed sighting is 1944. What? It was listed endangered in 1967. Okay. The last confirmed sighting was in 1944. So, the Chupacabra is more alive than this bird. Yes. And I think it's funny, a leading figure in the hunt for the Ivory Build woodpecker said it was premature to call off the effort. I'm like, premature to call off the effort? You should call it's it in 48. <laughs> the last confirmed sighting was in 1944. If you haven't seen one at least in the last decade. Oh, yeah, it's over. Because these there's people out there looking for them. I mean, with, all, with, with as big as bird watching is now, too. Yeah. Like, bird watching is huge. Like, y'all think fly fishing is big? Bird watching is, like, 20 times bigger than no, fly fishing. I run into three bird watchers. For every one fly fisher, I, I find, yeah. you know. No, for sure. And to think that one bird watcher hasn't gotten a... F- and all those bird watchers are photographers, too. They all have these huge cameras. Oh, yeah, it's crazy. And to think that with how much bird watching's exploded, that they haven't had a confirmed sighting. That doesn't make any sense. Nope. Another interesting species is a San Marcos gambusa. Is it from Texas? It is. is it it was listed in 1980. Is endangered, and the last confirmed sighting was in 1983. So Gambusa, what is that? Uh, I do not know. If you want to Google it, maybe pull up a picture. What's it called? The San Marcos Gambusa? Yeah. G-A-M-B-U-S-I-A. Listed in 1980, this freshwater fish was found in the slow-flowing section of the San Marcos River in Texas. The San Marcos Gambusa had a limited historic range of occurrence and has not been found in the world since 1983. <laughs> I just read that. Primary reasons for its extinction include habitat alteration due to groundwater depletion, reduced spring flows, bottom plowing, and reduced aquatic vegetation, as well as hybridization with other species of gambusa. It looks like a little minnow. It's just a little, a little bait fish. Yeah. A lot of the other things on this list are like mussels, like freshwater mussels. Yeah, that's always weird. Like eight of them are freshwater mussels. Flat pig toe mussel. It was last seen in 1890. Last confirmed sighting, 1988. Oh, okay. I wonder what the old one, the oldest last confirmed sighting is. That's still an endangered species. Uh, Ooh. Oh, I can't even say this. What is it? Folostega glabra. It's a plant. Uh-huh. Last confirmed sighting, 1914. There you go. That's the oldest one on this list. And then the ivory world, but ivory... Build woodpecker comes after. Hmm. Weird. <sighs> yeah, man. These these sometimes these are kind of depressing to read that more stuff is going extinct. But I mean, I th- and I think the biggest thing is habitat loss. Yeah. And that's the biggest issue now. Like even when Tom was on the podcast, he said, "I you know I couldn't care less about like pe- people shouldn't be fighting for catch and release fisheries." 
when habitat the, loss is is the real issue. Is the real issue. Yeah. Fight for habitat restoration. If your local conservation group is doing habitat restoration, you know, take part in that because loss of habitat is the number one. Yeah, is the number one issue. That's my article for this week. Well, cool. Well, of course, leaning into our spooky season. Uh, oh, wait, no, Honey Hole Halloween. That's what we're calling it. Hall- honey, honey Hole, hole Halloween. Yeah. Uh, I got a creature watch for you. All right, so I'm bringing you the story of the arachne. So just hearing the name, what do you think it's about? Spider. Yeah. Uh, so when would you guess uh, the first... Are the stories about the arachne came around? 1940. Mm, I'm going to give you a hint because you're way off. Uh, Greek mythology is kind of where it's about. Oh, gosh. Greek mythology. Yeah. I don't know, man. Just lay it on me. <laughs> you don't want to make a guess. People will be like, that's nowhere near. No, because I'm just like totally blinking. <laughs> it is 43 BCE. 43 BC. Yeah. In my head, I was thinking like 500 BC. I was like, no, that's pretty old, though. Yeah. Yeah, it's around 43 BCE. So it is a Greek mythology, right? Uh, it was a Roman poet uh, named Ovid who kind of first documented this. Now, this, as the story goes, there was this daughter. Her name was Arachne, and she absolutely loved to weave. So one day she thought she was going to challenge Athena, who was the god of wisdom, to a weaving contest. Oh, this sounds like uh, Devil Went Down to Georgia. Yeah. It's he challenged for a fiddle made of gold. <laughs> right. And it's pretty similar, right? Okay. But the only thing is Athena... Or uh, Arachne didn't want anything. She just wanted to be known as the best weaver, right? Okay. So uh, they're going, right? They're working it. They're working it. And at the end of it, Athena could find no flaws in Arachne's weave, right? They were making a tapestry right, or tapestry. So Athena becomes enraged and beat the girl with the tool they used to weave stuff with. Uh, apparently Arachne was so just upset and frustrated with herself that she actually hanged herself out of shame. And because she did that... Wait, she was so upset with herself that she won that she hanged herself out of shame? Because I think, too, she didn't want to disappoint Athena. I think, like, she loved that god, and then, uh, you know, Athena reacted with such anger that then she hung her, right? Okay. When she did hang herself, right... Uh, Athena was so mad, still in the whole situation, that she actually cursed her and turned her into a spider woman creature thing. Okay. Right? So that's how this all started, right? Now, uh, Arachne is kind of like a vampire in the sense of, like, she was the first, and now she can pass this disease thing on through her venom and her bite, right? So, it's been going on for, you know, what, 2,000 years now where this has been passed on from thing to thing through a bite like a vampire. Uh, People kind of look at this as a cautionary tale not to compare mortals to God, right, or gods. Um, Now, what do they look like? They are human-like, obviously have fangs. Most of them have dark eyes. However, if you look close enough at their eyes, their pupils are actually split, so they have like four pupils in total. Huh. Right, kind of like spiders have multiple eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, they have uh, the ability to weave webs out of silk, and they can use that to create like imprisonments for their prey, which most of the time is people. Part of their skin is also very dry and cracked, and in the cracks you can see like exoskeleton, tra- like like a spider exoskeleton, try to like peek through. Mm. They can turn others into arachnids through their venom, 
they can also use a special type of venom that they have in their wrist stinger that what it does is it actually puts people into like a dreamlike state and that way the arachne can feed off them without waking them, right? So like people would describe it as you would be in a dream state where you were still living your life and everything was going perfect for you. So you wouldn't question it. You wouldn't want to get out. It was like your perfect dream of your real life and they would just be feeding on you for days until you died. You know, that reminds me of a movie I watched this weekend with McKenna in uh-huh. preparation for Matrix 4. We watched the first Matrix, and that is exactly what is going on in that movie. Oh, yeah, where they put people into the Matrix? Yep. And then they're feeding off their, they're feeding off their energy, energy, their body yeah. cells. Yeah, so it's pretty weird. So this, this arachne is a combination of Devil Went Down to Georgia and the Matrix. And vampires. And vampires combined. Yes. And that's the story. Yeah, exactly. They eat people. They have super strength, agility, speed, senses, and they have limb regeneration. So the only way that you can kill them is, not fire, decapitation. Hmm. So you can remove the arachne's head, and then it's over. There's no neat, like, fact, like, oh, arachne had a thing for heads. So uh, when was the last confirmed sighting? Speaking of last confirmed sightings. It was recent. I forgot to write it down, but it was sometime in the 2000s. Where? In Greece? I don't know. No. Didn't say. Hmm. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, Fun. that's cool. Kind of spooky. There's unlimited creatures out there. Right. I found a whole website just just going down a list. How many are on that website? Oh, there's thousands. No, <laughs> not really thousands. It's probably a couple hundred. Yeah, that's enough for like a couple years of our show. Yeah. There's a, I, I'm sure there's a website dedicated to all that. Yeah, I'm still in the A's. If you noticed last week, I had one that started with an A. <laughs> I don't get lost. So. You don't want to have to save which ones you did and didn't do. No, if I start cherry picking it, who knows? We'll, we'll hear the arachne three times. Yeah. You know? Oh my gosh. Uh, it is hard to remember which ones we've covered already, though. Yeah, because I was thinking about whiskeys and I was like, have we tried that one already? I don't know. Uh, not this one, but there's another one. Blade and Bow. That's what I was thinking of. Have we tried Blade and Bow on the podcast? I don't think so. Okay. I like that one a lot. I'll have to get it. Cool. Yeah. All right. Want to jump into our topic for today? Yeah. So we're going to, with, uh, you know, the Guad season opening up, we're going to help make it more crowded by recommending <laughs> our favorite flies to you guys. Yes. So, actually, before we do that, do we want to talk about the whole GRTU thing? I feel like we have to. I mean, realistically, people are probably probably interested. It's going to be old news by the time this comes out in two weeks. Well, who knows? It might be delayed three more times. The initial lease sign up was delayed because their server couldn't handle the amount of people trying to sign up for the lease program. Yeah. And, you know, it's easy to blame them, but they got twice as many people wanting to join. That they even did it last year, and last year yeah. over well, and I, their servers. And th- I saw a lot of nasty comments on Facebook yeah. and on Instagram. And I'm not trying to sit. I don't think we want to sit here and be like hindsight's 2020, and this is what you should have done. It's not like that at all. I know many of the people on the board mm-hmm. at GRTU. They volunteer with Real Recovery. You know, they, they volunteer, volunteer their time, their time with, with, GRTU. with GRTU, which is a lot of time, and. They work hard at what they do, but again, it's a volunteer organization, mm-hmm. and they work with the information they have, and they try to, you know, do good things by stocking trout in the Guadalupe River. Right. 
And uh, so, so first of all, I just want to call out the people who were making mean comments. Um, At first off, that doesn't get us anywhere. It, it doesn't get us anywhere. Those those guys had like two thousand people trying to sign up for a thousand spots, crashed the servers. Right. Last year, you know, it sold out in the first day, but they didn't have two thousand people trying to. No, what they had a thousand people last year. Yeah, like, maybe I heard like a thousand people for like seven hundred or eight hundred spots. Right. And so there's more people. It crashes server. Some people could sign up. Some people couldn't. Last year, um, just depending on if you were lucky. And so they thought, okay, this year we'll increase our server size. I don't know what they increased the allowable amount to, but if they had a thousand people last year, it filled up in a day. Safe to assume if we you know, make it to where 1,200, 1,300, 1,400 people can sign up, then we'll be good. Well, that wasn't the case. 2,000 people tried to sign up for 1,000 spots on the lease program, and it crashed the servers. And, you know, I understand that people are very upset. There were a lot of people making rude comments and giving suggestions on how they think that they should, should, it should be done better. And, Instead of being bitter and making those rude comments, how about you guys volunteer for GRTU, help them out with their servers, help them out with this process? Because I guarantee you, I know who's in charge of membership for, in charge of membership for the lease program. That is the least desirable job that GRTU offers. It's like a thankless job. It's a thankless job. Most people call are angry or upset because they didn't get on the lease program, and those people don't stick around. And it's hard to get people to sign up to do that job because it's it's just it's a tough job. Nobody wants to do it, yeah. especially for a volunteer job. No payment. These guys are doing it because they like GRTU. They like raising money for GRTU youth trout camp, getting young people into yeah. the sport like Dak was talking about last about week. Last week. So before you guys freak out, you know, send our members. What is his name? I'm gonna look up his name because I'm blanking on it right now. Yeah. Uh, he makes the custom nets. And well, while you're looking that up, do you think that I know a lot of people are calling for like a drawing system? Do you think that would work? If they could, and I'm not saying like this is like the end all be all because I know even changing the system would be hard work for whoever would be in that position. But. I see a lot of people calling for a drawn hunt, or not a drawn hunt, a draw. Dustin Scott. There you go, Dustin. Dustin, thank you for running the membership for GRTU. Yes. You guys send Dustin a thank you note or something. Show your appreciation because it's a thankless job. He's been working hard. He's been the recipient, I'm sure, of a lot of hate emails. And, and that's real- not part of the community that we want to be. And um, realistically, guys, it doesn't even open until November 1st, so it's not like... People who want one aren't going to be able to fish. Well, some people might. But, like, for the most, the majority of people who want a lease, they will have a lease by November 1st. Yeah. Half the, half the people, half people that want to get on the lease will yeah. have a. But realistically, people, if you don't get on the lease, it's not the end of the world. There's plenty of public. There's other ways points. to fish, for, or there's a fly fish for trout during the season, even on the quad. Yeah. You know? So, you know, if you guys, you know, if you guys see an issue that. You guys want to dress? You guys should go to the board meetings. You guys should volunteer your time. And you guys should help out to make this run more smoothly. Yeah. And send Dustin a six-pack of beers or a plate of cookies. I don't know. 
just thank him for what he does because it is a thankless job, and at some point there's not going to be anybody that volunteers to do it no. because it it's not a fun job. It's it's worse than being president. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, like, president of GRTU. You have GRTU. Yeah, I think I'm president of the United States. Oh, like, uh, maybe. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah. I, I just wanted to say that. But do you think a drawn hunt could be the fix? I, I like the idea of a drawn Not I keep saying drawn hunt. Of a drawn well, lease. Okay. I like the idea of a drawn and I And I've talked with somebody at, uh, who's on the board at GRTU about mm-hmm. that. Because, you know, bringing up, hey, you know, what do you... Some just just a polite, just a polite conversation, and uh, and this was before the lease access. Like, have you guys like talked about a, a a a draw or something like that? Thing is, they're just not set up to do a draw. Yeah, and it takes a lot of work to get that system set up. Yeah, and how do you make it fair? And how do you take all the information and then do the draw? And what how happens do you to ch- people who don't get drawn you know, this year? Yeah, do they get preference points next, next year? year? Yeah, it, it's a whole organizational mess, and. Dustin, you know, already has his hands full. Mm-hmm. You know, who's going to step up and do that? I think a, with the size that it's grown to, probably a draw would be the way to go. I mean, it's what they do for hunting. Yeah. Um, a draw would be the way to go. Well, and I don't know. It's, it's so crazy how fast it's boomed because three years ago, I remember sitting at the Yeti Film Festival, which was like a month into when the lease even went live. And I was able to buy it there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's just crazy. Yeah, three years ago. It's changed so much, dude. Yeah. It's good and it's bad. Yeah. It's a double-edged sword, yeah. for sure. You mean we're getting more people into fly fishing, more people care. Uh, more people the, to bitch. <laughs> more people to bitch. <laughs> yeah. More more people care, um, but the river's more crowded, and therefore people are complaining more. And... You know, things are happening. It's just, for me, honestly, it hasn't been as, I haven't fished it much the past two years because it's not as fun. Me neither. And I do a couple guided trips a year. Yeah. You know, a dozen maybe. I had. On the weekends. And I just won't do them on the quad. No. And if I do, I almost prefer to wade as opposed to float. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I, yeah, last few years has just been so hard even getting out there and enjoying the spot. The spot. I'm just like. You almost have to go on a weekday, but even weekdays are crowded. That's the thing. It's like we, we went on weekdays last year and it was still crowded, you know? Yeah. But that being said. Yeah. If we do fish the quad this year, what are you bringing? Yeah, so top 10 trout flies for the quad. This episode is brought to you by HP. When you're working apart from your team, feeling connected can be a challenge. Presenting HP Presence, a more thoughtful, human collaboration technology. With enhanced audio and video features, you can experience more genuine collaboration and feel more connected. Be in the room, from any room, with HP Presence. Learn more at hp.com forward slash presence. This episode is brought to you by Cox Contour TV. Sometimes it's hard to decide what to watch, but Cox Contour TV helps make that decision easier. Enjoy live TV, on-demand programs, DVR recordings, and music all in one place. And only with the sound of your voice with the Contour Voice Remote. Plus, catch the golf and basketball action you've been waiting for on the Contour Sports app. Learn more at cox.com slash contour. 
I'm going to go through my setup. First of all, my favorite rod for the quad is a 10-foot 4 weight. Yeah. Why? Very abnormal. And it's not a Euro-nymphing rod. Uh, I did do one season probably like three or four years ago where I was like, you know what? I want to learn this Euro-nymphing thing, get into it. And how Dak has talked about how he tried Tinkara because it was something fresh and a new new way to experience the same river that you've been fishing forever. I was like, I'm going to Euro-nymph. And uh, I did for a whole season. And but this isn't a euro euro niffing setup. I I tend to prefer the traditional like uh, indicator style fishing over euro the nymph. euro niffing yeah, fishing. Too. Um, I don't know why. I just do, and I and I know you can catch more fish euro niffing. Yeah, it just doesn't feel. And it's hard to say that indicator fishing feels more like fishing. Because, yeah. I, I just don't know. I'm just. I'm not gonna lie. For me, I think it's just not having to mess with my depth constantly. I can set my indicator. If I'm not deep enough, pull it up, make a change, send it back out. You know. Well, what the Euro nymphing is supposed to be like you can control the constantly. depth constantly. I don't want to be thinking that much. Like I don't get me wrong. I fly fish over conventional because I like that it is a little bit more of a challenge. I do like the fact that I have to go out there and kind of problem solve a little bit. You know, but at the same time. I want the problem solved the entire time. Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah, I I did the urinating thing. I think I just like the traditional like indicator personally. Yeah. And I don't know why. I just think it's more fun. Um, but I I run a ten foot four weight. Um, the 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 ten foot four weight and why I like it. You have an extra foot over a traditional rod, which makes it easier to mend. When you're nymphing, you also have an extra foot of reach, and that extra foot of reach makes all the difference in your drift. Because when you're running an indicator, your goal is to get a drag-free drift. You mm-hmm. want your flies to drift in the current as naturally as possible. So you get a drag-free drift with the 10-foot 4-weight. You have the tip of a 4-weight, which gives you more tippet protection because I, you know, you're using pretty light tippet on those small flies. Mm-hmm. But you get the butt section of like a six weight. So the butt section's heavier than a five weight. So in reality, you can put the pressure on a little bit more that's because you have that power in the butt. With a nymph rod. Or is that with your four weight? That's with my four weight. Okay. But my 10 foot four weight is not a Euro nymphing rod. It's right. a traditional, I can fish dry flies with it, which I do. It's like my go to trout rod. Okay. Except if I'm fishing a really small creek. Gotcha. Then I'll use like a seven foot three weight, something yeah, real small. Real tiny. I do an indicator rig. I like the airlock indicators. Yeah. Personally, they're easy. You can adjust your depth super easily. I like them. They're easy to see. You know, wool is wool indicators are great, but it you know those yarn and wool and foam indicators. I don't use a lot of those. I usually just make they 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 sink over time, and yeah. that annoys me. Yeah. It annoys me that I constantly have to baby it to get it to float. I'd rather like indicator is one less thing to worry about because I have. When you're nymphing, you have a bunch of other things to worry about. And then I usually fish two flies. Yep. So let's get into a couple of the flies. Shoot it out there. Favorite fly, squirmy worm. Uh, on the quad. Oh, yeah. I have caught probably in the hundreds of fish on the quad on the squirmy worm. Gotcha. All colors. Like I have a box of like every color imaginable. Yellow, pink, purple, 
whatever. That's not even my top ten. A screaming worm's not in your top ten for the quad. No. Which is which is funny because this is a you know we're two really good friends. Mm-hmm. We fish the quad together. You would think that we would have like my top fly would be on his list. It's not even on his list. And I think this is a good point to mention that. Does it even really matter? <laughs> yeah. Does it even really matter? Cliff would say no. No, Cliff would probably say it depends. Cliff would say it depends. <laughs> does does it even I really see, matter? No, but I think, okay. To the fish, does it matter? Probably not. To me, though. To the angler. It does matter. And the reason why I don't fish a squirming worm is because. You haven't ever had success on one? It is not my confidence fly. Yep. I've never had success. Even fishing it in the most fishy of situations. I just, I don't know why. I'll do a squirming worm because that's what everybody recommends. Won't catch a thing. And I'll put on one of my confidence flies and some that are on my list. And it's, wait, so you started with number one. Yeah, my number one go-to fly is squirming worm. Oh, see, I thought we were going to go 10 to one. Yeah, no, number one. You, what's your number one fly? Uh, realistically, it's probably a Frenchie. Uh, a Frenchie? Yeah, a Frenchie. And you said you didn't like to euro nymph because that's a euro nymphing fly. Yeah, but I use it for indicator fishing too. You know, a Frenchie. See, that wouldn't even be on my top ten list. Yeah. See, so it's, see, see how funny this is—is is that your number one fly, my number fly, don't even make the other person's top ten list. Yeah. And I think this is just a good point to make. Like, you guys can listen to what we have to say, but realistically, you guys can go out there with something else you have confidence with yeah. and put it on and catch fish. So for me, my Frenchie size ten. I like them because the hook is typically a little bit wider, right? A little, little bit of a larger gap. Mm-hmm. Um, Are you tying them on the European nymphing hooks? The that's the reverse or the the bent. No, jig. they're just they tend to have wider gaps and they tend to be barbless. Uh, barbless, minor barbless. Yep, they are wider gaps. Um, it is a jig head, so that way it rides upside down. Yeah, I don't have to worry about it catching. It doesn't catch. It still catches, but it not does as often. not as often. Um, and then I will typically do like a purple color with a little bit of flash on there, or a uh, like a reddish color as well. Do you time yourself? Mm-hmm, most of them. Yeah, because you can. And then they have like a little green head. Like, not green head. Um, like a little uh, collar. Green green collar. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, that's Frenchie. it's my confidence fly. One time I saw Odom tie up some beautiful ones and put them on his Instagram, and I was like, I love that fly. So I tied up some and I use them on the quad, and it's just like it's my jam. I love them. You know who taught Odom how to tie flies? Who this yeah. guy? There you go. It's all full circle. It comes full circle. <laughs> and now he's a better tire than I am. Dude, Odom's tie- he ties some mean yeah. flies. Man. No, he's a better tire than I am. Man, that was years ago. Um, my number two fly. Uh huh. Ooh, before we move on to number two, another interesting discussion and argument: barbed or barbless flies. To be honest, I love a barbless fly because I don't have to worry about pinching the barb. Because if it has a barb, I pinch the barb. So you're fishing barbless, no matter what. Yeah, pretty much, unless it's a uh, unless I'm fishing salt, then I'll keep a barb on. But for the argument of barbless or barbless, because the the argument is. A barbed fly, in theory, lands more fish. Well, you know, you have a barb that hooks in there, so it hooks better. The argument for a barbless fly is that you get 
a deeper penetration because you don't have to push the hook past the barb. Yeah. So if you get that deeper penetration and you're able to keep tension, you're less likely to lose fish. But some, So some people swear by the barb is what keeps my fish on. Some people swear that the barbless is the reason I keep my fish on. And another thing is a barbless, when you hook a fish, creates a larger hole in their mouth. A barb? Barbless or a barb? Barbed? I'm sorry. Yeah. A barb creates a larger hole in their mouth, and as yeah. you're fighting them, you know, and that hook is wiggling, it's widening that hole, widening yeah. that hole. And a barbless fly, you know, does not, yeah, does not do that. I think, and I think this comes with more experience, but I think having a barbless hook for me is more important because it, most fish I catch are catch and release, right? When it comes to if I'm removing the the hook. Having a barb on there does add a significant amount of time for me to get that hook out of there. Most of the time, obviously, you have your lucky ones, but even a panfish, like if I get if I forget to pinch the barb and I'm pulling out those hooks, like it just takes so much longer and with much more effort to get that out. So, taking the fish out of the equation, do you feel like you land more, have a higher success rate of landing a fish on a barbless fly? So I, I understand the fish like keeping the fish in the water right, right. argument and, like, the catch and release argument, do you feel like you land more fish because you catch, you fish barbless? I don't. I think it's either neutral, like it doesn't affect one way or the other, or if anything, I probably pop off a fish or two every now and then because, like, especially, like, with those, not so much on the quad, right, but especially, like, if I'm fishing, like, Boulder Creek, you know, up in Colorado, uh, and those little browns are, you know, 10 inches, uh, man, they jump, and when they do, and they shake, and that um, it creates so much slack in that line that if if it's barbless, which it should be, uh, it pops off. You know, um, so I will say I probably lose fish because it's barbless. I would say so. My opinion is that if you're a newbie and you don't know how to fight fish, barbed is probably the way to go for I would you. Agree. Why you learn? But I will say I kind of as I fish more. I kind of agree with the sentiment that with a barbless hook, you get deeper penetration when you set the hook. It creates a smaller hole, and if you keep tension and you know how to fight fish, mm -hmm. that's the key. Keep tension and you know how to fight fish. You know what to do when they jump. You know how you can put pressure, how much pressure you can get on a fish. And which and way to fight, quickly, which way to And how to rod. keep them out of the current. If you know how to fight fish, I think you can have a better success rate really? on barbless. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like, it's hard to keep track of the ones you don't catch. You know what I mean? Unless, like, those monsters. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah. I mean, it it would make sense if that's the way it went, if that's the way it played out. But, but it's all speculation, too. Yeah. I mean, like, you don't Maybe know Maybe we need some hard catch. data. Right. How yeah. many fish did you hook? Maybe we need to create a form. How many fish did you hook? Were you fishing barbed or barbless? How many fish did you land? Yeah. That's a good idea. That doesn't take into account their skill level, though. But we, we could, could ask just them raw data. We could, we could also ask, you know, a set of survey questions like, how often do you fish? Yeah, how often do you fish? Well, I've been fishing for 20 years. Well, one have you been year. one time a year or, you know, you that's know, what you're going to One time a there. week and one time a month for yeah. 20 years. Yeah. So, uh, okay, number two fly. Number two fly would have to be a zebra midge. Okay, again... And I like my zebra midges a little bit different. I would probably put that on my list. My zebra midges, the classic is like black body, silver wire, and right. silver bead. 
I like black body with matte red bead and red wire. Okay. Uh, why do you like the red? I just feel like I have more confidence with it and I catch more fish with it. Yeah. And probably the reality is most people are fishing black and silver because that's what you're going to buy in the fly shop and maybe mine is something different. Yeah. Because I know on highly pressured rivers like the San Juan, ooh, a mosquito for the first time. Oh, I've had I've had quite a few. Oh, have you? Yeah, they've been getting me. Oh, man. There was such high hopes for our, when we got here that there were not going to be that many mosquitoes. Yeah, that's great. It's not horrible like it was in the beginning. No, no, no. So this was the case when I fished the San Juan in New Mexico is that it's all midges, and you're fishing like 22s, 24s, it's like super small flies. And the name of the game was constantly changing flies and basically getting a fly in front of a fish. There's so many fish there. Like your fish are looking at your flies on every cast. The amount of fish in the San Juan is absurd. It's weird. That's a river where it's like you have to find what they're eating, and that's what and you it, fish for an hour. And it's not even like what they're eating. I just think it's like what, how many different size 24 flies can there be? Like you're basically putting thread, maybe like a wing, and like a tail. But like how many variations of there are there? Not that many. So it's just like I think it's just, you know, cycling through until they, you find something they haven't seen. And maybe the guad is so pressured you know, maybe our list is a do not fish list because if it's what everyone's fishing or what we're fishing, maybe you need to be throwing something different right. out there. Just a thought, just something to think about. Yeah. What's your next fly? Uh, so also I want to talk about my uh, my setup is different than yours. Uh, most time I fish a nine foot six weight on the on the quad. Mm-hmm. Um, I will also bring up my five weight glass. <sighs> I love the five-weight glass, but for nymphing, no. Ooh, not fun to nymph with. Actually, you know what? People always say that. And now I can't get the reach. I will give you that. It's short. It is short. It's, it's eight, short. It's eight six. It's heavy. It is. And but it's I hard have, to mend. I have never caught a fit. Like, I've never brought my glass out and been like, oh, man, I wish I wouldn't have brought my glass. You know what I mean? I have brought my H3 out and been like, I wish I had my glass rod. Mm. You know what I mean? Now, yeah. my H3 probably does more. Like, it keeps me, it can do more. You know what I mean? But I have a good time every time I bring out my glass. Mm-hmm. Like, every single time. Even if it's a little hard. Now, I wouldn't throw, like, a super heavy woolly bugger or something on my glass. Mm-hmm. That would be tough. But actually, nymphing, I've managed to do fine with it. You know, and it makes fish fun to fight. Uh, so, my second... Uh, fly is a Pat's rubber leg. Ooh. Now that's going to be on my list. Yeah. Pat's rubber leg and a Frenchie is like my my double trouble. What color? I'll do black and I'll do olive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't use rust that often. Actually, you know what? No, I use rust. And I've been pretty successful with rust. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll use rust. I'm not going to give away my color. But no, well, my number three. I gave away all threes. <laughs> well, those are the common colors. Mine is a little different. A little off the That most people, that you can't buy in a fly shop, you got to tie it. Mm-hmm. But that's just one thing I'm not going to. No. I'm not going to release. Yeah. Um, but I will put my number three fly, Pat's rubber leg, a.k.a. sexy stonefly. Sexy stonefly. A.k.a. the turd. The turd. Yeah, those are three common names for it. 
All right, Zach, what's your number three? My number three is an egg. Is an egg? Okay. An egg. I knew eggs were going to come up because it's going to be an egg is going to be on my list. Yeah. But there is some interesting conversations about eggs. Right. So I don't always fish an egg, but <laughs> if I'm out there for like five hours and I'm like I just want to catch a fish, and I'm seeing fish move and eat, I'll put an egg on. Eggs are, uh, you know, the thing about the egg and the squirmy worm is a lot of people that are maybe elitist don't like to fish them because they're not truly a fly. Yes. You know what I mean? There is that sentiment with those two flies. Yeah. I would say fish what makes you happy. Don't let us tell you what you should and should not fish. Right. Even though we're giving our recommendations. You can either listen to us or not. But squirmy worm and egg are, is, is on our list. And so, you know, fish what makes you happy, though. You don't have to not fish a squirmy worm or an egg because there's this attitude around them that they're not real flies. So you're not really fly fishing. Well, you're fishing under an indicator and like 10 pounds of split shot. So at that point, I mean, you're not dry fly fishing, so no. I, I don't get it. Me neither. Okay, so but an interesting conversation about eggs. Do you fish a true egg or do you peg an egg? What do you mean peg an egg? Oh, you don't know what pegging an no, egg is? No, is that the plastic one that you sit in the line through? Yeah, it's, it's, it's basically a small bead with a hole through the middle. And yeah. you feed it through your line, and then you stick like a piece of rubber, or like a rubber band, or like a, a lot of people use a toothpick. They'll mm -hmm. stick the pointy end up, and they'll break it off so it's a clean break, and it it holds the egg on your line. And then an inch below the egg, you tie a bare hook. So eat the egg. They you eat set the, the egg. Hook, you set the hook. It, it hooks into their mouth. It hooks into their mouth. I don't. I use a yarn or whatever the that's the soft egg is that. Uh, argument I can understand not being fly because my rule for a fly has always been material tied on the hook. Material tied on the hook. An, a traditional egg is yarn tied on the hook. It's a fly. Squirmy worm is a rubber bla bracelet material. Whatever tied on the hook, it's a fly. Pegging yeah. an egg is nothing tied on a hook. It's probably not a fly, but um, it is way more effective than a yarn egg. I really? will say that I I have pegged eggs. Uh huh. Yeah. It's way more effective than a yarn. They look better. They drift better. And the hook sets, with that hook being an inch below, and are, way, are way better. Yeah. You get corner of the mouth hook sets like every time. And I would say a lot of times with an egg, too, with the yarn ones, like the hook is covered up with a lot of material. Yeah. Like it's it's a small gap. Yeah. Eggs are effective. No doubt about it. You're and number even, four. And even oh, those... Um, uh, egg clusters are effective, like the. Uh, I've used the egg clusters. I like the egg clusters. Um, now an interesting fly is the Eggy Juan Kenobi. Have you seen that? I feel like it's I have. an egg and a worm combination. Uh huh. Like an egg and a San Juan worm combined. It's, it's almost kind of like a mop fly a little bit, but it's a mop fly, I guess, a mop fly doesn't have as much. Ooh, that's my number four. <laughs> is a mop fly? <laughs> is it really? Yeah. Um, you know what? I debated about putting it on my list. I probably could, realistically. But it's also very similar to an egg. It is. It's a piece of mop, mop. material. You cut off a piece of a mop, tie it on a fly, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, it has something you can get crazy with the the collars. You can, like, change the colors, change the collars. Put but some soft tackle Boy, are they effective, especially if you fish a brown one and it looks like food because these are stocked fish. Right. And all they've been eating is eating brown pellets. 
And they're like, ooh, that's mm, a brown mm, pellet. Mm. It sure is effective. Yeah. Uh, my number four, uh, pheasant tail. Pheasant tail. It's just classic. Gets the job done nine times out of ten. My number five is going to be a Quasimodo. I don't know if I know that fly. A Quasimodo. Yep. It is a, f- basically, it's a pheasant tail, generally in smaller sizes, but it's tied on a curved hook. Oh, yeah, yeah, I see it. Okay. Uh, pheasant tail is, is tied a on a straight hook. hook. Yeah. And a Quasimodo is on a curved hook. Let me see that picture. Yeah, that's it. It's pre- pretty much a pheasant tail. It is. Yeah, it's it's a pheasant tail with a curved hook. Yep. I just like the smaller I like sizes. That. I yeah. like that a lot. You're going to, yeah, you'll have to fish it. I might. Uh, I'm on my number five. Mm-hmm. This one's tough for me, but I think I'm going to go with a woolly bugger. Okay. They uh, work. I don't streamer fish the guad that often because I much would I would much rather uh, indicator fish. But if I am a woolly bugger, is probably if if I'm streamer fishing the guad, a woolly bugger is probably the only way I'm going. Mm. Uh, probably a black one with a cone head. Okay, that's where I'm going. My I'll I'll put my streamer on here. I like a slump buster streamer. Ooh, I I do. I've never fished a slump buster for trout. I like the brown color, yeah, and I like the rabbit strip. Uh, I just love action of a rabbit strip. Yeah, rabbit strip action is is the way to go. So yeah, I'll have to go slump buster for my next one. Yeah, uh, my you're on, we're on six, right? Yeah, you're on six. Uh, zebra midge. That's where we catch up. Okay, traditional color. Yep, black. Uh, with a regular silver wire, silver bead. I've used red occasionally. Like a red thread, mm-hmm. um, but actually, I have more success with like a black zebra midge with a red collar or a red bead. Oh, okay. Over just a f- full red body. Yep. My next would have to be the uh, fox squirrel nymph. Ooh, okay. Yep. It's like a hare's nymph, hare's ear, but it's like wily, right? Mm-hmm. A little bit bigger. And it's got four rubber legs. Yeah. Yeah, that and I think a lot of people on the quad would agree with that sentiment too. Yeah, it's a pretty popular. I feel like I I fished it last year and I liked it a lot. Yeah, I forgot about it. Otherwise, it actually would be on my on my list. Yeah. Uh, Okay, my next one, rainbow midge, and actually, rainbow midge, zebra midge probably could flip, uh, but on a sunny day, rainbow midge. Yeah, no, that's a good one. Uh, My next fly would be a purple haze. Ooh, yep. Okay. It's got that like uh, bright. It's got that purple body, and it's got that soft hackle collar. Yeah. If I'm fishing a soft hackle, I like. I like the purple haze. Yeah. You're on eight, Zach. You know what? I'm gonna change mine. I have this like stonefly thing that I bought in this little shop in Santa Fe, mm-hmm. that I liked. But I think I want to swap that out for the the squirrel. Um. The fox squirrel nymph. The fox squirrel nymph. Yeah. I did like that. I forgot about that fly. Oh, what's my next one going to be? So I'm on nine. I almost want to open my fly box because now I'm starting to blank. I know. I got my last two. But. Why I think, list your last two. Uh, Copper John. Okay. I is. was thinking about Copper John, but I don't fish them. That's why they're nine for me. I don't fish them that often the quad, mm-hmm. but I have, and they've they've worked. And then my last one is, I don't know the name of it, and if I had it, I'd show you, but it's a curved hook, 
It is a red wire, probably half of it or so. Uh, and then it has like either like a blue or a green kind of wrap. And then it's got some soft hackles that kind of come off the back of it. But uh, I don't know the name of it. Do you, where did you buy it from? Real. Real fly. Hmm. I should have made this list before. I thought I could wing it. I was yeah, like, oh, yeah, I can name it. You were talking. Guys. I was like, I got to run down. Otherwise, I'll, I'll forget. Yeah. You could use mine for inspiration. Yeah. There's this caddis fly. Like, if I want to fish a caddis, it's like a green caddis fly. It looks really good. Mm-hmm. But I cannot remember the name of it. But a small green caddis fly nymph. Is, I'll just put that on the list. Do you fish any topwater? If they're buying on topwater, I usually fish like a parachute atoms. There you go. So, your tenth parachute atoms. Don't do it that often. I rarely do topwater on the quad. Like, rarely, rarely. Yeah, if I'm on the, if you're on the river at the right time, during the right conditions, at the right place, maybe like there a, will be fish rising and a lot of them around you. Maybe like an ant or a beetle. And I fish, usually fish two dry flies, one big fly that I can see, and then one really tiny dry Just fly. Just off of it. Yeah. I've done well on Elk Air Caddis, though, too. Usually fish like a parachute atoms or Elk Air Caddis. Yeah, you know, I'll throw an Elk Air Caddis on every now and then. Elk Air Caddis is my favorite dry fly. Oh, me too. It doesn't make my top 10 flies for the quad because you realistically fish dry flies so rarely. Right. That how can it be my top top 10 trout flies for the quad? But I guess we have our nine favorites. (laughs) Yeah. And them there for the 10th. Yeah, I... I mean, parachute atoms fine. I can't remember that the name of that caddis fly, but there's got to be some other flies in my box that I'm not thinking of. Uh, I tie a lot too and mess around. Oh, I tie the CDC fly. It's got a CDC collar, but it's it basically what I would consider it almost like a pheasant tail, but instead of a pheasant tail body, it's a dub body with a CDC collar. Mm. And I just love CDC is like my favorite fly tying material. I just love how buggy it looks and how much action it gives in the water. Yeah. And uh, I fished that fly a lot and have been successful on it. But I don't really have a name for it. Oh no, I do CDC Skittles because I, like I tie them in every color. So I just call them CDC Skittles. CDC Skittles. I like it. Yeah, but that's a go-to. I need to tie some up because I don't think I have any. I've done very well on that fly on the quad too. Yeah, that's our top ten trout trout flies for the quad. Maybe we should write this up in an article and I like that. Put it out on the website with some pictures or something. That sounds great. Um, <clears throat> and actually, by the time this comes out, we could have the article ready to go with it. Yeah, absolutely. But well, I, man, I hope we have a good quad season. I don't know, man. I just you know this is getting me excited and thinking about fishing the quad. But man, I haven't just have not been excited about fishing the quad in the past two ever since it exploded. I know. And popularity. Yeah. Exploded, and it's just like, and it's it, just like you like, said, it's, it's bittersweet. You, you might walk, like, I might walk a mile to go fish a spot in the in the river, like, trudging through the river, and then someone's there when I get there, and it's just like, oh. Yeah, as whereas, like, you know, three years ago, you walked work a mile hard for a place, and there wouldn't be anybody there. there. Yeah. Now it's like, you got to get there at 3 a.m., and you got to walk under a headlamp, and you got to sit on the river for two hours for the sun to come up, and then you can start fishing to get the spot you want. And yep. I'm like, man. It's just tough. It is tough. Or you go on a rainy day. Or like a freezing cold day. Yeah. Me and Ian went that one time. I caught that huge trout. Yeah. And it was freezing. Like, we, like, ca- we did the same thing. We it was caught like 40 that fish. degrees. 
Dude, it was like 17 degrees the day that me and Ian went. It was cold, man. And we were the only ones on the river. Maybe that's what we need to do. Just like wait for the cold cold spill. Then we do a float trip. There's no boats and no people on the river. Yeah. Just pull them in. Yeah, man. Any other Guadalupe tips you can think of? No. Have fun. Have fun. Uh, Don't get, you know, too pissed off at other people. Yeah, if they're not following, you know, rules. be the be the gentleman on the river, be yeah. the outdoorsman, be the conservationist. Don't be the people that you dislike on the river. Right. Be helpful. Share your flies with our people. If someone's having a hard time, maybe they're maybe their first time fishing. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. You may become friends. Like, share flies. Like what's working for you, especially if you're at the end of the day, man. Give give tips. Share out. flies. I mean, yeah. like realistically, it doesn't change your future fishing that much. You know, no. but it means the world to somebody else. Yeah. And we're not saying you have to give your spot away. I mean, obviously, they're fishing the same spot you are. Right. But Every, yeah, everybody helps. knows the spots. Everyone knows the spots in the quad. Yeah. Unless you're a first year. But you know. yeah. if you're a first year, by your third trip, you'll know the spots because people it's will be catching fish. Yeah. yeah, that's where everyone is at. Yeah, no, for sure. I do want to fish the quad. I'm just like. It takes a little bit. It's like once, once you know, Thanksgiving rolls around, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go. But until like this time of year, I'm like, eh. I'll let people fight for it for right now. Unless we can get on someone else's boat. Yeah. I'll float on someone else's boat. Yeah. And I don't know what the flows are going to be like for floating this year either. Last year they were low or was it two years ago? They Last were low. year they were low. Have we had a lot of rain this year? Not really, right? We have had a lot of rain this year. But I guess it really depends on the flows, uh, how, how they drop doing. it. Yeah. Yeah. What's the lake levels at? It's really what it's going to depend on. Yeah. Man, you still haven't seen a river runs through it, have you? No. Yeah, you and Kendall need to come over for movie night. We gotta do it, and we're gonna we gotta watch it. Such a classic. Oh, let me talk about an upcoming trip I have that I'm super pumped about. Uh-huh. So you know how Steve Ramirez came and talked about his book, yep, and joined us on the podcast. And I don't even know if I've told you guys this. I've kept it on the down low. Uh-huh. But me and Steve are gonna go to the coast, and we're gonna fish with William. This is not next weekend, but the following weekend. We're gonna hey, go fish yeah. with Townsend. Yeah. We're going to do one day offshore, one day inshore, and he's going to write a chapter about it. In the new book? In the third book. Third book. Okay. That's awesome. That's I'm, really cool. I'm pumped. So yeah. we're I'm getting like starting to get excited for that. Next weekend, I'm working at Orvis, too. This coming weekend, I'm coming. There you go. Yeah, on Sunday. <laughs> My once every uh, 60, 60 days, days, roughly. That has been I, – I have honestly worked at Orvis less than I thought I would, but with the new job I've had, which is crazy. I've been at the new job for a year. I know. I, I work a lot of weekends, and so either that conflicts or when I have a weekend off. You're like, I don't want to go. Do I want to go? <laughs> I, I don't want to go. <laughs> if I'm already working my new job on weekends. Yeah, you're like, I just wanted to enjoy this weekend. Yeah. And with our house flooding, you know, I've lost a lot of weekends this fall. Like I've been thinking about all the things I need to do for hunting season. Like, I got to get a rifle sighted in. My bow's not sighted in. All the stuff that normally you would do every weekend. Yeah, leading up to, to it. it. And yeah. then, um, but how good does our floors look, Zach? Oh, dude, they look great. Like, Was it worth our house flooding from an outside perspective? Probably. Yeah, it was worth it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the floors do look great, I will say that. They do look awesome. I mean, like, honestly, it does make it, it a is sucky a, situation a lot better because it, it, they look great. Yeah. No, the floors look better than they did. Even though we had wood floors and now we have tile, the tile looks, it looks way awesome. better than the wood. It did. just looks, I mean, it looks great. Yeah. It's really good. We got carpet in the bedroom, which is not the HGTV thing to do. 
You know, you're supposed to put like carpet in the bedroom is nice though. It's nice for you to walk on, but dude, look at Gimli. Look how sad he is. Oh, he, he's just peeking over the couch. He's like. just peach peeking over the couch at us. So we're we're recording him in, in our backyard. Normally, like all he wants to do is like come inside the house, <laughs> right? We're recording. We're like trying to prepare recording, and Gimli's just like jumping all over the place, like jumping all over <laughs> us. And I was like, I thought it'd be cool to have him out here recording with us, but he was just like all over the place. We're like, we can't record a good podcast <laughs> with, that, with him out here. The whole time we've been podcasting, I'm looking in the back door and he is just looking at me with the saddest <laughs> eyes. Look at him. He looks very sad. He looks really disappointed in us. Has he been doing that the whole time? Yes. <laughs> if it wasn't there though, it was him sitting at the back door on the ground uh-huh. and just looking through the door with just <laughs> this. He, he looks like he's going to cry. dude. That's a saddest that right there. Looking over the couch edge, like <laughs> all you can see is snout, like sitting on the back end of the yeah. couch, and his eyes just like peering at us, like you guys, you guys didn't let me outside. Now look at him. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, you're talking about me. That's funny though. But cool guys. Well, hope you guys enjoyed this one. Next week we have uh, Julie from Devil's River Conservancy. Yes, joining be a us. Good episode. We're going to talk about. You know, the history of the Devil's River Conservancy, some projects they have. They've done a lot of, like, lobbying at state hearings and stuff like that. So they're doing a lot of good work for the Devil's River. And we're going to talk to them about it next week. Yeah. So Have we uh, have we heard about, have we tried the Devil's River bourbon yet? We have not. And they are a sponsor of the Devil's River Conservancy. And so in support, we should have the Devil's River, Devil's River bourbon. Yep. But maybe as a mixed drink because I've had it before. Needs a little, and maybe like uh, old fashions. I like it needs a little something. Yeah, or maybe old fashions or something like that's the way to go. Yeah, yeah. it's it's good. They have it's a couple. Good. They have a couple different ones. Maybe we'll we'll get the higher end one. Yeah, I I've definitely tried like their cheapest one. It's yeah. like a twenty dollar bottle. Yeah, maybe and it needs a little something. It needs a little something. It's a great mixer though. Yeah. That's all you can Remember when we went to uh, Franklin's and we were making, um, oh, what's that drink that Will likes with uh, lemon and... Uh, lemon sours? Lemon, uh, whiskey sours. Yeah, whiskey sours. Whiskey sours. Well, that was, when we did that with Will, that was that Devil's was River. With, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. That makes sense. And they make great whiskey sours, so maybe that's what we do. Ooh, whiskey sours are good. Man, I got, well, I got some <laughs> stories about whiskey sours. <laughs> <laughs> you also got some stories about tequila. And bourbon. And and uh, rum. Or rum. It was rum. I have, I have some tequila stories, too. Yeah. So. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. And go check out Ian's article. Go check out our stuff on our website. Please support us if you can. And we will see you out on the water. On the quad? Yeah, we'll probably <laughs> see, we'll see you and everybody else on, on the, the quad. quad. So tell everybody about us. <laughs> <laughs>